God, thank you so much for uh, just a time of this particular day to exhale, to exhale the last week and the frustrations we may have walked into the door with and all of the other stuff that has been on our shoulders, that has been in our families. And God, in this moment, just to exhale all of that and inhale you, to allow your spirit, your presence to be so very real in this moment because you are in this moment. And so, God, we are listening and ready to respond as we sing to you thoughts that we have about you in Jesus' name. So we're talking about my house a minute ago. Uh, that wasn't really that much of a DIY project, but uh, if, uh, if you've been involved in a DIY, do-it-yourself type project, you know that uh, they can go uh, great or horribly awful or just have great intentions and, and never amount to anything at all. Um, I, I know that you can go to uh, you know, Home Depot, you can go to Lowe's. They have websites that are filled with all these great ideas for us, right? Uh, for the bathroom and the kitchen and the porch and the dining room and the living room and the man cave and on and on and on and on and on. And um, there are storage ideas and painting ideas and landscape ideas and flooring and lighting and you name it and they'll help you. And as a matter of fact, uh, Home Depot actually for, uh, I guess, about six, seven years there from 2003, 2009, that was their, their logo. Uh, you can do it. We can help. Right. And, uh, and, and it just, just made it a great, great slogan for a company like that. Um, shortly after we moved uh, here uh, into our house, uh, I got the great idea that what I thought could happen in the garage is create a portion of, uh, of the garage as my kind of um, uh, office. Uh, we gave up the uh, pseudo office area that we had in the house for a legitimate dining room instead. And uh, so I was like, well, you know, let's go ahead and, and go for maybe a portion of the of the uh, of the garage when it's cooler weather it would be nice it would be you know be kind of away from everybody i could still work at home some it would be quieter than the rest of the house and uh, and and i i had some good intentions there uh this is what this space looks like right now um well sort of we can get it on the screen it's coming there we go um, and so as you can tell, that looks a lot like a really cozy office. Um, I, I'm not sure what the Christmas lights are doing there. Uh, but uh, but it's, it, it didn't turn out quite the way I thought it was going to. Uh, it's not a protected private space at all. As a matter of fact, this great getaway space project just became one big, huge failure. But the truth is that DIY project really unintentionally for me became the I wish somebody else would do it for me project, right? Uh, which if you're into acrostics instead of DIY, that would be uh, I-W-S-W-D-I-F-M. So there you go. Um, but uh, and for the right amount of money, right, somebody could come in and do that for me. I mean, there, there are people who do that kind of thing all the time, professional organizers and builders and storage designers and space designers and you name it, and they'll do it for us, right, for a penny. I even have some friends and some family members that uh, really, I believe, probably would have come over and, and helped me create a really cool space there in the garage 
uh, and probably would have done it for a little more than me throwing something on the grill for him afterward, right? I, I think that we treat God's work in us that way. It kind of becomes at times by default this, I wish somebody could just or would just do it for me. And this mentality we take into the church and hope that that cognitive dump that we receive on Saturday or Sunday is going to uh, do something for us, right? And as parents, we send off our kids to camp uh, or we drop off our kids or our students to uh, this building to the amazingly uh, educated and well-trained student and children's ministry personnel that are a part of this church. And we think, you know what, they're going to do that work for us. I I, in, in student ministry world, there were so many times when parents would show up and, uh, and, and they would bring in a kid and sit down with me in my office and talk to me about uh, the issues that were going on and then kind of hand the situation over to me. And it was like in some sort of way I was going to provide some magical transforming elixir that would erase the awful role modeling that they had been subjected to for the last 12 to 18 years of their lives. Is that too harsh? That, but that I, I saw that play out over and over and over again, and I understand how we get there. I get it. I mean, we we uh, we listen to the we we send our kids to the instructor so they can learn to play violin, and we send our kids to the tutor so that they can learn dance lessons or they can learn math better, and we send our kids to the coach so they can play ball better. So you know what? We send them to the pastor so that they can learn about Jesus. I would say, though, that the church has been really quite duplicitous in this problem that has invaded our culture of really usurping the role of parents in the spiritual direction and discipline of our children. But it even comes down into us and how we treat the church, the spiritual growth in our lives and the spiritual responsibility that we as adults own for our own family. It cannot be allocated or assigned to someone else. It is a DIY project given to us by our creator. Now, let's be clear here. It is his power. It's our responsibility. It it may very well be his prompting, but it's our response to that. Intentionality and implementation are up to us. Each one of us own our own spiritual growth or stagnation, not the church, not pastors, not God. So that that seems really harsh, right? I mean, can, can we really justify that in scripture? Well, you know, Jude chapter one, verse 20 says this, but you dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. It does not say, he is not saying to them, sit there and by osmosis, God will make you like Jesus. Build yourselves up. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. We were looking at this passage a little bit. And you know, some of you are like, you're already about to put it in neutral. And it's like, oh, here comes the be the godly training parent message. Deuteronomy 6. Okay, I've hit there. Okay, we're only touching on this once. There's a whole lot more than that in this message. So don't go on neutral on me just yet. But in this passage, we were looking at this passage at family camp this last week for just a brief moment. And I, I want to tell you, it just, boy, it, it came alive to me again. And here's how. Let me read it to you. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. 
what he's saying there is, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love God with everything that you are and make sure that that's in your heart first. Then, depending on what translation you use, you impress them on. You repeat them into the lives of the next generation. Make sure it's in your heart first. Psalm 78, 2 through 4. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past things we have learned, heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children, but must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord, his might, and the wonderful works he has performed. Powerful passage there. Titus 2, 6 and 7. This is the message. This is a paraphrased version, right? Okay, but I love the wording. That's why I wanted to use it tonight. It says, guide the young men to live disciplined lives, but mostly, check this out, show them all this by doing it yourself. Incorruptible in your teaching. This thought just keeps coming up in Scripture. We see it over and over and over again. Build yourselves up. These commands are to be on your hearts. What I have heard and known, I will not hide them from my children. Guide them to live disciplined lives. Show them how to do it by doing it yourself. And it comes back to the Home Depot illustration, right? Because I may sense this internal or external prompting to go do something around the house. And so I go to Home Depot and I purchase the appropriate tools and I'm now able to find a stud and I can do everything that needs to be done, right? Because I've got the tools and I even go to the workshop and I check this workshop out that they offer on Saturday morning and I discover all this great stuff. And even while I'm there, my kids build a little project and that's really cool. And so I get the project, you know, down as far as the workshop goes. And then I even visit with it with some friends. We're here at church. We're talking in the hall. Hey, you know what I'm thinking about doing? This is what I did. This is the tools that I bought. This is going to be great. Oh yeah, that sounds really good. Now if you've got a couple of friends, really good friends who would say, oh, you know what? How about this? I got some time next week. I hardly ever have any time, but I've got some time. I'd love to be able to just come over there and just hang with you and kind of where I've done that before. And that'd be great. Why don't we just do that together? Oh, that sounds great. And you know what? Two years later and the project never happens. Why? Because we never acted There was no implementation. Action steps are great, but they require action to be effective. And you play that out in our spiritual life, and it looks almost identical. I hear a sermon. I get away on a retreat, on family camp, on student camp, on children's camp, whatever. I sense God calling me to this personal, spiritual journey with him and uh, even show a slide on the screen that talks about the trek. Oh, yes, I'm motivated. This is going to be fantastic. And I go to Mardell or I go to Lifeway and I pick up some materials and Ron has put out some tools. There are some on the, on, as you walk out the door there, there are some sheets that have tools. He talked about it last week of how we can be involved in personal Bible study. I go to church. I hear the motivational time. I go and I, I, and I attend a class at, at, at church on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday. I'm involved in a small group. We're talking about going deeper with God. And what in the world does that really mean? And how do I really live out my faith? And how do I understand more of who God is? And I even have a couple of people that, you know what, God's placed it on my heart to maybe invite them to meet with me at Starbucks once a week to kind of hang out and provide some accountability with each other. And I go through all of this process and two years later, no progress. I'm at the same place with God that I was in 2011, 2012, 2013. 
And why? Because no one can do it for me. It is a DIY project. Yes, it is God's power in us. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit who comes upon us and does a work that is supernatural that we could not manipulate or create on our own. It is God's blueprint. He is the architect. He is the foreman. He directs the hammer in our hand, and he actually provides the power to make sure that it works. He does all of that, but I've got to pick up the hammer. It is a DIY moment. And so I have to be the one to wake up in enough time to jumpstart the day with him. I've got to be the one to intentionally spend time with my kids in prayer or in the word or at rest or in conversation. We're in an amazing building project over here and that quote unquote house of worship is coming up and it's looking great. Can I just take you back to just a couple of weeks? We did three weeks in here on worship. You know what the New Testament describes as the house of worship? Us. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, yes, that building looks really great. It's coming up. The steel is there. The floor is there. It's happening. But the bigger question is, how does the house of worship of me look? How does that house of worship where God inhabits in praise, where he, in, where he dwells, how's this house of his look? He's very interested in it. As a matter of fact, his son Jesus spoke about it. Matthew 7, 24, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. I, I would just say to you that words that Jesus used over the course of his ministry that involved building were quite intentional because he knew, as his father knows, that there are building projects they want to do in us. How does it look? I think in order for us to really take significant steps in this, and Ron gave us some great tools last week, but again, the best tools, you know, we've got a, we've got a firm out here that's putting this whole thing together and they can bring all the tools to the work site. But you know what? It can just be a really shabby, awful experience if they don't operate with best practices. Best practices, kind of like, you know, catchphrase that you see a lot these days. The best practices of a law firm. The best practices of a construction firm. The best pra- what are the best practices? What are the seven best practices that kind of guide us so that this whole thing doesn't wind up in some big, huge pile of rubble out here? And we're not off base on what we're doing and we're trying to build this worship center and all of a sudden it turns into a Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, you know, how, what, how does best practices help guide us? Best practices. Here we go. Policy, systems, and procedures that at any given time are regarded as the practice that delivers optimal outcome. We're building an auditorium. At the end of the day, that's what it's going to look like, right? Such that they are worthy of adoption. These best practices are worthy of anybody who's going to start doing this to adopt because it's worth it. Because it gets you to the finish line. 
And Paul says, run for the finish line. Let's move it. Let's go to the prize. Best practice number one. Number one, margin. It is a best practice that is essential if we are going to be about building this DIY project of God's work in us as we pick up the hammer. Yes, God's power. Yes, God's direction. But I got to pick it up. And as I pick it up, it's got to be best practice with margin. So what does that mean? For for about seven months of our lives before uh, moving here, we were living a lifestyle with very little margin. Uh, The stress level I was feeling at work was ridiculous. We had only four kids at the time. And two of them were in a commute with me that was very long because we were working and they were at school in the same location. Homework was crazy. We would get home late, eat something, do homework, go to bed, and press reset and do it all over again day after day after day after day. What you may say is, Randy, you just described what September looks like for me. What I will tell you is we had not been living that way. And so for us, it was a real shock to our system because we had been living with margin. And all of a sudden, it didn't exist. And so what I discovered in our family was that all of a sudden, the routine became arguments and tears and stress levels that went up. And family members were no longer relating to each other the way that they used to. And I felt like a juggler who was trying to make sure that just the most important balls were not dropped. And I felt like at any moment I was going to drop one and just get booed out of the arena. Or a light was going to go out. Our family was without margin. Here's a great quote about margin from Dr. Richard Swinson. Margin is the space that once existed, (laughs) once existed between our load and our limits. Margin is the space between vitality and exhaustion. It is our breathing room, our reserves, our leeway. Unfortunately, few Americans have any room for margin in their overcommitted crisis mode lives. It's a pretty powerful quote, wouldn't you say? And we feel it, right? I mean, how many of you have been in a conversation like in the last week, either in person or online with somebody who is like, like they're like frustrated they're almost to the point of anger they are like speaking with impending doom about the fact that school is about to start that summer is how is summer going by so very fast right no it's got to stop why because we let it get crazy because we go 90 to nothing because when everything starts to roll around in the fall, we look more like Lindley, my 20-month-old, who this is her life right now, right? She walks around the house and she's like, I found my brother's sword and this is what I'm going to do for this moment. And then I've got this binky that's right here. And then, oh, wait, wait, here's, you know, and then I've got this. And then I'm checking this out and then I'm going over here. And then, oh, wait, hey, brother left this. What does this button do? Oh, this looks really fun. How about this? And then she's like doing this, all with a pacifier in her mouth, by the way. Oh, we can flip that over. That looks really cool. And then, oh, you know what? I bet dad's doing something really important let's just ring this forever right and then oh wait oh we got to call yes mommy yes yes oh it's growl Uh, yes Uh uh-huh okay good and then we got the pacifier and we're doing all this and it's like we look like Lindley right we do just minus the pacifier for most of us that is coming 
If I could ring that bell a little bit more, if I could find it, that is coming. It's on the way. Summer is almost over. And you're like, Randy, you're putting me on a guilt trip and depressing me all in one shot. Busyness. And you know what? This is so crazy. We get really, really busy. And in some respects, it almost like feeds our ego. I think the busyness of our society may be feeding our egos at times, but it is starving our soul. Well, my kids are involved in blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm involved in blah, 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 blah. And so we spend more time making sure that we got the picture right for Pinterest or Facebook or whatever, and we spend way more time on that than we do actually playing with the present that our kid actually got at the birthday. Again, I'm not calling us to create more margins on both sides of our day to put Jesus in. That's just some Greek mindset of compartmentalization. That's nothing. That goes nowhere. It's not about making sure that he can book in the day. It's about the reality that as we look over the course of our day and our life, that we maybe have enough margin so that we have a shot at discovering God in all of it. So that we have a shot of seeing God throughout the day in everything, everywhere. But instead, at the end of a marginless day, you know what happens? I know because I live this. What happens is our souls get starved. And our relationship with God becomes minimal. And God's activity in our lives is unseen or virtually non-existent. And we wind up too tired to intentionally parent. And so our kids kind of do what they do. And then all of a sudden we turn around and at one point we saw these amazing children as rewarding and treasured and valuable. And now all of a sudden we see them as annoying and cumbersome and managed. And the result is that we live in a world that is quite unfiltered because we're not intentional. And our kids follow the latest cultural icon and have Call of Duty black ops as their babysitter and experience porn online on their phones and other friends' phones. And all of a sudden, this moment, where we had this small child and had such amazing dreams for them turns into this jaded sense of just hoping that they don't become pregnant before they end high school and they make more money than us. And at the end of the day, when we've run out of our money, they'll like us enough to put us in a really great place. And we were at family camp again last week, and the week before last, and Barry made the, uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't at family camp. It was, uh, I, got, got, I got quotes confused, at uh, the Catalyst Conference. And Andy Stanley at the Catalyst Conference back in May, pastor at North Point in Atlanta, made an amazing quote. He said this, the most important contribution you make for the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. And I guess my question is, in our busy, marginless world, are we potentially missing it? 
what God wants us to know today that it's, he, is, he has bigger dreams for us and our families. But in order to actually get there, we've got to be honest about the amount of margin that is or is not in our lives. So I, I got this exam for you. It was first published by Jim Burns. How would you answer these questions? Number one, have you stopped enjoying life? Number two, have you stopped developing new relationships? Number three, are you exhausted most of the time? Number four, do you and your spouse have a regular date night? Ah, you can do that tonight with date night. That's a promo for tonight after. Number five, do you get enough hours of sleep? Number six, do you take a restful day off? Number seven, do you have regular proactive family times together? Number eight, do you have credit problems or a large debt load? Number nine, are your children showing signs of stress? And number 10, have you started serving God out of duty rather than serving him out of a response to his love? Now, as you start to get honest about that, what happens is there's a tendency for us to get and feel just a little uncomfortable. And I think one of the reasons why is because our perceived priorities start to rub up against our reality. The unbalanced life is never kind to the area that we neglect. (laughs) But I think what we've got to recognize is about this best practice is that marginless living is destroying us. And if you've spent much time in neighborhood pools recently, think of it in these terms. It keeps us in the shallow end instead of the deep end of the pool. It reduces us to living as cowards rather than people of faith. Vince Lombardi said this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. It reduces our ability to step out and take control and allow God to move in. Say, no, I am not going to be a slave to this any longer. God, I've picked it up. Now, drive it home. I think marginless living moves us away from so many things. But we've got to be willing to embrace margin. And when we do that, it's going to involve elimination and intent. It just will. I think it also moves us into... uh, more intentional ways within our family. Barry St. Clair in his book, Ignite the Fire, wrote these words, look for ways to show kids the power of God. Then Gail McDonald said these words, unintended fires soon become nothing but a pile of ashes. What does that mean? It means that God has this fire that he wants to be kindled and burning inside of us. Our God, Hebrews says, is a consuming fire. He wants to dwell in us in that way. He wants that activity to be active and present and noticed in our lives. But we get so busy, it's very difficult for us to help point out what God is up to to our children when we're not aware enough as to what God is doing ourselves. I, I was thinking about this prayer that Levi, uh, our four-year-old, prayed this week. Because um, we've been praying for a while for one of their friends who's sick. And, uh, and most 
nights we pray for this child. And uh, a couple of nights ago, when Levi was ending in prayer, um, before he went to bed, uh, he said, he, he, he prayed this. He just, I mean, it wasn't anything that I prompted him with or anything, but uh, we've been praying about this child. And then Levi just is talking to God and he just says, and God, he had, he had had this little spot on his back and, and it's all better now. And he just said, God, thank you for healing my back. And, you know, that may seem little to you, but I just paused for a moment and thought, you know what? He was aware enough that God is in the mix to thank him for the spot on his back that is better. And I think, although I know I do a lot of things wrong, one of the things that moved him to that sensitivity was that we had been praying for healing in others. Does that make sense? So his, his sensitivity is now heightened. Why? Because mom, because dad are, are praying for healing. And so it's like, you know what? Yes, we're aware that God is at work and we're noticing it. But I've got to have the margin to be able to do it. Here's a couple of questions for you as we kind of walk through this, this fall. Questions that you can kind of pack away. How can I work and play smarter? How can I do that? That's going to help move you to more margin. Just will. I think we work dumb often. Um, how do I need to, what do I need to eliminate or begin? When will I consistently find rest, recovery, and renewal? And if you define consistent by once a year, we have to, re, we have to go back again. Okay. Let, let's talk some more. Because when we do these things, then we'll be able to ask the big questions of ourselves, like, who am I becoming? And is my family getting the best of me? Is your employer or your employees getting the best of you or are your family? Who's getting the best of you? How am I currently investing in what has eternal value? That was the biggest, best practice that we're going to cover tonight. We're almost done, I promise. The last two are so short. But the second one that I wanted to jump into for just a moment is the best practice of humility. God, I'm not where I need to be. God, I can't do it without you. God, my best efforts without you are worthless. God, I create temporal change. You create eternal change. God, I need you. I know I've read to you a lot tonight, but I've had a lot of things to read to you. This is an email that was sent to me by someone who attended family camp a couple weeks ago. It's an excerpt from it. Quote, I was reminded there are no perfect parents and never will be, and that we are not capable of being the parents we need to be for our kids, and that we have to rely on God and his resources to be able to do that. And we rely on our resources. We just put the ladder on the wrong wall, a wall that results in external motivations of fear, guilt, and performance. You know what I read in that email? Humility. What that person is saying, they're saying, listen, I recognize that the best practice of humility is important because it drives me to Jesus, and he's the architect, he's the contractor, he's the foreman. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. you know this verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Isn't it interesting how they work? Yes, it's a DIY project. I've got to pick up the hammer. But the reality is, 
I do that in humility, knowing that I can't direct it or bring the power. God does that. So there's a best practice of margin. There's a best practice of humility. Last one. There's a best practice of discipline. We talked about this two weeks ago. Finished up a series on worship. We listed discipline as a requirement in our pursuit of living out God's blockbuster worship. Moments of worship in our lives. We looked at Psalm 27. Let me refresh your memory again here. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, My heart says this about you. You are to seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. Psalm 27, 4. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. In that chapter, David is so focused on God and, and his pursuit of God. And that's a lifelong pursuit. And David is describing this pursuit and he's saying, listen, I'm going to worship you with intent and with action and with all that I am. And in that psalm that we looked at two weeks ago, it was just so evident that David was just throwing himself in God's direction and saying, everything that I could possibly do is going to just be jumping off in your direction. And that, that's where my discipline is going to come from. I'm going to just keep running toward you. David is describing a relationship that God with God that involves action, that involves discipline. That's why Peter challenged us. Again, 1 Peter 1, 13, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Paul uses verses in the sports arena to emphasize discipline. We looked at those a couple of weeks ago as well. And some of you say, well, I, I, just don't, I just don't feel like discipline is a part of who I am. I'm just a very undisciplined person. And what I would say to you is, you can go to a lot of different seminars about it. You can go to a lot of different self-help books to try to bolster it. You can go online and take a little survey and see three little steps you need to take. But the bottom line is, here it comes. You ready? For discipline to really take root in your life. Here's the key. You ready? This is really big. I mean, if you can get this, wow, we could just, I mean, here it comes. You ready? It's called taking a step and following it with another and then another. Because the marathon runner does not run the marathon because he trained for it in a day. It took a step. And so Ron gave us some amazing Bible study tools last week, some steps in the right direction. We got to pick them up. Next week, we're going to do this really cool survey with the trek. I hope you're here next Saturday, next Sunday, because the trek is a, 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 it's, it's a way for us as a church to really gauge where we need God to kind of move in in different areas of our lives and to really bolster us up and to, and, and to grow us up in particular areas. And so uh, we're going to do a little inventory next week in the service, just a couple of minutes, and you're going to be checking off a few boxes here and there. And it's, don't worry, we're not going to pass it to the right and people are going to go, oh, well, look at you. No, no, you keep it yourself, right? And you kind of, you fill this puppy out, you know? And then after you fill that, you look at it and go, okay, you know what? Boy, I need to do, I need to take this class. You, you put it up against a, um, 
a, a pamphlet that we'll promote every semester that has kind of a guide as to different areas. You go, oh, you know what? Yeah, this is what this says about me. And that, that kind of makes sense. I do need that. And so, yeah, I want to grow in that area. Oh, look at that. They're offering that. Or they're offering that experience. Or they're offering that workshop. Or they're offering that class. But you know what? We can offer all of that. But still, you can even sign up. But you've got to walk into it. You've got to experience it. And then you can go to it and still miss it. Because what does Paul say? Knowledge puffs up. It's not about how much knowledge we can just kind of toss into our brain, right? The, 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 the fall will be ripe with opportunities, with classes and workshops and seminars and dating apps and service opportunities in our media and in our, in our worship and our welcome teams and our worship experiences. We can help you, Home Depot. We can, we can all right? We can help you, but it is combined with your willingness to pick up the hammer and then to continue in God's strength and direction. Now, best practices. Got to make sure there's margin. Oh, margin this fall. It's, it's here. One of my sons asked me this week, when is summer over? Depends on how you define it. When I stop sweating a lot or when you start studying a lot. Fall is coming. Margin, right? Humility. Discipline. Best practices. We've got the tools. You've got the tools. For many of us, I mean, you, you downloaded... The Bible app that we put our notes on. There are more tools related to that thing than we could print out for you. Best practices. Just close your eyes for a minute. We're going to end with just a little introspection. And as we do it, I just wanted to guide our thoughts for a minute because for some of you today, You're like, Randy, I want to get started in the right direction. But if I were to be brutally honest with you, what I need more than anything else in my family is healing. What I need more than anything else in my life right now is God's healing touch. Just in my own private worship space this week, this song just kept coming to me and kept coming to me. And I was like, but I'm talking on discipleship and, you know, how does this, how does, God, why do you want us in this moment to sing this song? And it just hit me. Because what we need sometimes, more than just a good plan, is in this moment, as you think of yourself, you're like, I need to get at a healthy place because inside or in my family, we are sick. There is unforgiveness, there is bitterness, there is anger, there is frustration, there is cynicism. Randy, deep down inside, I'm worried about my kids. Deep down inside, Randy, I don't trust my spouse. Deep down inside, Randy, I don't trust me. And what I need 
before I can jump off on some trek is for God to meet me at a place of healing. God, I need to take a step towards seeing your healing occur in my heart. God, we're listening to you. And we recognize that there's an amazing work that you are wanting to do. But structurally right now, we may be in some bad places. And we need you to get us off on a right start. Thank you, God, that you are the builder of our lives. But God, you are also the healer. So God, we take a moment in communion, in worship, in this space to listen to you and respond.